Welcome to Deep Dive. I'm Amy. I am Shane. And today we're going to talk about fishing and calling. Before we dive into this week's episode, we just want to let you know that we are taking your questions to answer in future episodes. So if you have questions about subjects we covered, questions about life, anything having to do with the pod, even the most mundane and silly questions, send them to us at questions at deepdivepod.org. Uh, the notes are there on the screen, but they're also in the show notes. Send us your questions to questions at deepdivepod.org. Now let's get on with the show. Our scripture this week is from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 4, verses 12 through 23. Now, when Jesus heard that John was arrested, he went to Galilee. He left Nazareth and settled in Capernaum, which lies alongside the sea in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali. This fulfilled what Isaiah the prophet said, land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, alongside the sea, across the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who lived in the dark have seen a great light. And a light has come upon those who lived in the region and in the shadow of death. From that time, Jesus began to announce, Change your hearts and lives. Here comes the kingdom of heaven. As Jesus walked alongside the Galilee Sea, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, throwing fishing nets into the sea because they were fishermen. Come, follow me, he said, and I'll show you how to fish for people. Right away, they left their nets and followed him. Continuing on, he saw another set of brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with Zebedee, their father, repairing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Jesus traveled throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues. He announced the good news of the kingdom and healed every disease and sickness among the people. All right. So there's so much fishing going on in the story, I have to just start off by asking, is fishing a hobby of yours? Is oh, that like no. a requirement of being oh, a pastor? Man. No, no. <laughs> I feel like it is though. There was a period of time where like, that was a thing I feel like, but there's also a strange correlation between pastors and liking baseball for mm -hmm, some reason. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know. No, not on the fishing thing. I'll, I'll be really honest. I've, um, I fished with some uncles and stuff when I was younger as a kid, but I'm a man, I'm a, bit of a diva I, I do not like touching fish <laughs> i do not like touching fish the sliminess yeah mm. i'm just like this is this is not a wonderful thing to admit to you find wonderful people but i mean i don't like swimming in lakes for that reason mm. you know what i mean because you get out in the water i was like i can't see my feet and i'm gonna kick and i'm, I'm gonna kick a catfish you know like i just i can't it's 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 not it's not my proudest moment to admit that to everyone, but um, I mean, not against it. It just doesn't, it just doesn't do my thing. I, th I think I like the idea of like being terrible at fly fishing mm. that way. Like I get the enjoyment of the trinkling water. I get this, you know, mild exercise, get the fresh air, but I don't catch anything. So I think being a bad fly fisher is where <laughs> is my sweet spot. That feels like a goal to like try to attain this <laughs> yeah, year. Yeah. yeah. You get to buy cool stuff. Those like waiters and yeah. you know, all that. All the little stuff. fly fish. Yeah, exactly. And, then you, get, and then you can tell people you're a fly fisherman, but don't have to touch the fish. <laughs> <laughs> These are just really good tips yeah, yeah, to start yeah, off with. Yeah. You're welcome. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So maybe on a little bit more serious yeah. note, um, I, I have to ask a question that was not uh, in your sermon, but it okay. kind of caught my ear yesterday, really for the first time when you were reading the scripture. Oh, okay. 
Um, so there's a, a place in there where it says that they were repairing their nets. Yeah. And that's the point at which Jesus called them. And I think it's so interesting. You know, we can hear scripture over and over and over mm-hmm. again. Um, and just something catches us for whatever reason at a particular time. And just the yeah. fact that that detail was in there, that they were repairing their nets when Jesus yeah. called them. Yeah, and it catches you too, because if you if it's read in a different translation, we, we typically use the Common English Bible, which is a, a relatively newer translation. Um, that takes some of the things uh, about if you're familiar with the message that makes it a little more understandable. It takes a little bit of that, but it's not not as many liberties mm-hmm. as the message. Uh, we use it, and I it hits me by surprise all the time. Yeah, and and I think it's for that same reason. But yeah, that's a neat that's a neat passage because I I I thought about I actually thought about that in particular mm-hmm. as I was driving home because I think this it's a neat thing to understand that. Um, if you want to really push the, push the idea of how much they left behind, yeah, the nets are an interesting symbolism of that because of of all the things they owned. I it, I almost think the nets are probably more valuable than the boats, <laughs> you know, because it, these are these are like generational things because it would be so difficult to have these enormous de- uh, nets that they hand down, and so you know they're 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 actively stewarding what they have. And yet that's the thing they leave, right? Uh, which is really, it's rich and interesting. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. We, we saw actually when I was in the Galilee, uh, when we were com- near Capernaum in the kibbutz near Capernaum, there's an area and I think they call it the Jesus boat, but that they found a, they found a boat preserved in the mud down in, down in the water at some point that had been encased in a way that a lot of the boat was preserved. Uh, and they sort of reconstructed it in uh, this kibbutz that we stayed in there in near Capernaum. It's really neat. You can go in. It's this sealed little area, and you get to see the boat. They're they're not terribly large. Um, I want to say maybe 14, 50 feet long, maybe five feet wide, something like that. They preserved it with wax. It's really it's really interesting because you get to see something that would have been the type of vessel that they were in. That's awesome. Yeah, because yeah, I, I think we have an image of like our fishing boats and yeah, what that absolutely. looks like yeah, now. And so absolutely. to be able to really kind of capture what that truly yeah. would have been like. Yeah, the Sea of Galilee, I think, is interesting, too, because it I mean, it, it just it's the Sea of Galilee. We call it that way. But it, I mean, it's it's a big lake. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's a very big lake. Yeah. I mean, you can but you can definitely see across it. And but because of the weird atmospherics there, because it's like on the edge of a desert, but in a more fertile area, and because it's essentially surrounded by mountains, it's actually very low. That's one of the interesting things. I believe it is below sea level itself. Mm. Um, but because of those dynamics and proximity to the sea, because maybe it's maybe like an hour drive from the sea, it you can have these real weird atmospherics where the where the um, the weather changes really fast, and you can even though in your lake, it can have crazy sort of weather behaviors in it, which understanding that seeing that kind of draws out the storm stories of Jesus when Mm. he's crossing one side or the other, it's like, Oh yeah, they could have set out having no clue in just a matter of moments, those storms kick up. So, So in the sermon, you talked about how Jesus called the fishermen in a way that they would understand, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. that they were being called. I'll make you fishers of men yeah. to these fishermen and went into some more detail about, um, about Jesus calling us too. And mm-hmm. I, I loved the part in the sermon where, you know, it was, and Jesus calls you to 
And it was a little bit of a hanging question mark there. Yeah, to me, the roots of this is, uh, I think often this is associated of a call story for people for evangelism, you know, because that's that's the that's the terminology that's now become synonymous with evangelism, fishing for people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and because it makes sense, you see people as fish, whatever. But I don't think textually that's actually what's going on there. I think it's appropriate to understand that as evangelism, but I think it's better to understand that as um, Jesus speaking to them within their context. And I think that opens up this verse to a lot more people. It, it's Jesus, because the point of that is, the point of what Jesus is saying is not that you're going to fish for people. That's just the clever hook. The point of that is come follow me. Um, and the and that second half is more just contextually speaking to them in a language they understand. And so what that got me thinking is, what would that call to me be? You know, if I were to fill in the blank of that, come follow me, I will make you. Mm-hmm. So what's that context he would speak to all of us in? And I think what it particularly got to me is because I, I just don't have an obvious answer for that. You know, I, I think I could maybe take a stab at some other folks or something like that. But it, it's going to be so individualized in that. And, I, and I, I think that's an interesting question to chew on because every time I feel like I have a good answer for it, I'll, I'll say it out loud and I'm like, nope, that's not right. You know, <laughs> uh, you know, if you're an accountant, come follow me and I will make you, you know, account for God's mercies or so, you know, you know what I mean? And it's like, every time you say that, it's like, Oh no, that, uh, that's coming not, up with a catchy yeah, slogan. Yeah, yeah. It's like, it's just not that great. And I think, I don't know, to me, there's something like good questions that don't have easy answers like that are really important to wrestle with uh, in faith. Do you, do you have thoughts on that? Did you think about that yesterday afternoon? What Did you have one for yourself? Oh, I don't have one for myself. Yeah. But it, but the whole conversation, though, did make me think about kind of calling, mm-hmm. right? So you're talking about call, but it makes mm-hmm. me think about calling, too. What we yeah. might talk about is vocation yeah, absolutely. And, and really kind of living into that. And you're already mentioning, you know, if yeah. I'm an accountant, what might that particular yes. yeah, call yeah, yeah. be to me. But I, you know, I really think that our, our calling, even for our vocation, even for our profession, maybe never changes through, through our lives, which for most people it's going to multiple yeah, yeah, yeah. times yes, these yeah. days. Um, but you know, your calling, what you're called to, I think can transform over mm. your life. So I was hoping yeah. you could say more about that. If you, I mean, what do you oh, think? Oh no, I don't know what to add other than, you know, like, Oh, fully agree. Yeah. 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 I think, I mean, it's not like we're have this certain set of spiritual gifts we have and it always stays that way. Cause I think, uh, I mean, and this is where I'm very much a process theologian that I think I, we're always in this process of transformation with God. And so, you know, who we were called at 16, 17, 37, 57, you know, whatever, as we grow in faith, you know, it could totally be different. I'm a very different person than I was, you know, five years ago, 10 years ago. And some of that's because I experienced having to deal with some chronic illness stuff. You know, that's just becoming a father changes me. I have different passions now. And so I, I fully agree with that notion. Yeah. I think there's something really exciting about that, honestly, yeah. because yeah. It, it kind of gives you that perspective that God's not done with me yet, you yeah. know, and to use that kind of old phrase, yeah. there's, there's more work for me to do. There's Absolutely. more things that I'm being Absolutely. called to. Uh, more light, more truth. If we yes. want to, if we want to start drifting. More joy, our, more yep. life. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Oh, if we want to drift in those reform circles. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. I was listening to a podcast, um, Working Preacher, that I listen to most weeks, and mm-hmm. they brought up really, I think, two pretty poetic questions oh. to, go, to go along with the scripture. And those questions are, what, what boat might you, just any person, what boat 
might you need to get out of and what mm. net might you need to lay down? And I thought those were just really interesting kind of oh, metaphorical yeah. questions of being able to help people wrestle with the things in their lives and really think about their motivation for things. So I know that's the first time you're hearing that, but you did prepare for the sermon. So I'm wondering if you have yeah. thoughts on that. Yeah, I'm, I'm just trying to wrestle. I mean, it's a great metaphor, but what what is it specifically leading to? I know, because the interesting thing for me is, because when I hear what boat do you need to get out of, it almost makes the connotation that what they were doing was bad or, or oh, not, yeah. do you know what I mean? Like, or what, I could, I could interpret it maybe as like, what's the thing you're doing that you think you need to do to survive? That's good. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, cause it, I think that that certainly is a myth we can fall under if we're particularly if we're in a profession or working in a job or, or frankly, just doing something in our life that we think is so important, but from a different perspective, mm. we would soon read soon learn, Oh, this is not where I should be. Yeah. I can see it that way. That's really helpful. Yeah. I think you've been kind of trying to understand what they were getting at with the questions. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The net one, I think is a little more complicated maybe, but I mean, that's the beautiful thing about, you know, these allegorical interpretations of scripture is it opens up to a whole relevant conversation. I think the key of all those things is, if you're having them in community, you're going to help. People are going to sort of help you stay within the bounds of maybe the intents of those conversations. Well, I think we honestly just did that a little bit ourselves because yeah, I was absolutely. reading that question yeah. and yeah, just yeah. in that very brief second, you were able to mm -hmm. say something different, open my perspective. So it yeah. absolutely is critical to have those conversations with other folks. Yeah, absolutely. That's a great question. That one's going to gnaw on me for a while. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Anything else? you wanted to bring up? I've got the part where you talked about. Um, I, I wouldn't mind talking about the part where, you know, rabbi saying, follow me says you can be like me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think that's powerful. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So in the sermon, you talked about um, the, this really being more than just an invitation, but also being an, an affirmation. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, and, you know, the, the rabbi Jesus in this, in the story, calling to yeah. um to those folks and, and really trying to bring out maybe their full humanity and what they were capable of doing so yeah. i was hoping you could mention something else about that yeah this i think this is a tricky one to explain because it just borders on maybe some phrases that are uncomfortable it I think to me, I, I tied this in a sermon about this is why I think understanding the humanity of Jesus is so important. Because when you tie that to the words of a rabbi, I, I, I'd said that, and it's very true. When a rabbi says, come follow me, it's important to understand in that ancient rabbinical tradition, they're not taking you as an apprentice. They're not taking you as a student. They're not even taking you as someone who will just learn and sort of model your behavior. They're literally trying to clone you as a person. You That rabbi, when they say to you, come follow me, it says, I believe it's possible for you to be just like me, which is a radical statement. We just don't think of life that way. And so if we understand Jesus as a rabbi, and I think it is important to understand that um, as one who teaches with authority or else, you know, they let him go into synagogues. You know, it's important to understand Jesus in that sense. And so when he calls to these disciples, 
come follow me. He's saying, you can be just like me. And so Jesus in that moment, coming off his baptism, accepting the limitations of his human condition, is living a life of faith with the two things we have available to us, the gift of the Holy Spirit and, and God's word. And, um, you know, capital W, I'm not talking about the <laughs> Bible here specifically. I'm talking about, you know, the word, living, breathing word of God, which, you know, Jesus was. <laughs> um and so uh, when he says this to those disciples there, come follow me, you can be just like me. Man, that's that's pretty radical. I think that unlocks some things because I think it's very easy for us as disciples to think that there's just a whole realm of things that while we are called to, it's just not possible. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. You know, it's so it's like, oh, we, we are called to holiness. We're called to active these acts of faith. We're called we're told we've been given this power, uh, this the, these gifts and, and God will accomplish these things. Faith of the mustard seed moves mountains. We're told to have these things, but we don't really believe it. Right. Because we think, you know, we're not we're not good enough. We don't have these abilities. And and. To some extent, it's not true. I'm not good enough in and of myself, but here's the beauty of grace. Jesus says, you can be like me because Jesus, as God, guarantees it. Um, and so I, I think that's a that's kind of a mind bender of a thing. But if we can get around, it's really a nature of trust. If we trust Jesus as our rabbi, then our then it narrows our field of vision in a good way. We're not so obsessed with we have to get here. It's just the step in front of us and the trust that if we take those steps in faith, more things are possible than we ever imagined because Jesus is the one guaranteeing it. And he's the one saying to us, you can be like me. And he's saying that, and we should be able to empathize with that because he is fully human. Um, I think there's a lot of good news in that. It's just a, it's kind of a mind bender to understand. Mm-hmm. It's, it's interesting. You yeah, know? absolutely. I think there's just a ton of hope mm-hmm. in that message. Right. And yeah. so just, you know, yeah. I think we can, all of us get discouraged or, you know, and feel like I'm never going to be able to accomplish the things yeah. that I, that I feel called to mm-hmm. even. So yeah. I think that can be a message of hope for folks. Yeah, I mean, this is a weird way to relate it, but, you know, if you're talking about modern understandings of productivity, mm. you know, the first thing anyone would tell you is you get discouraged when all you're doing is looking at the big final project or something. It's break it up into small little tasks. Yeah, to to put that back onto our Christian faith is, put you know, just focus on that next tiny step of faithfulness. Uh, don't be so, so obsessed where the path is going to go. Certainly it's going to be times where you need to step back and look at it, but our day-to-day view is what's that next step of faithfulness and that direction our rabbi is calling us, um, which I think to me uh, is sort of an anxiety reducer. It's just, let's just try to focus on this momentary faithfulness right now. And I, I think that's good news. So each week when we join together, we have some recommendations for you. These are just things that we like, things that you'll find interesting, things that we're just really into right now. So Shane, do you want to go first? Yeah, this, I can't believe we're going to make this recommendation, but, and I'm not even finished it. I, I'm just surprised how much I enjoy it and, and maybe not enjoy it, just it's fascinated by it. It's a, it's a documentary on Netflix called cheer. Have you heard of this? No, it's about this small junior college in Texas named Navarro, uh, and uh, Navarro college. And they are like national champs many times over in, in competitive cheerleading. And it, it's gritty. Mm. It is, it's just kids getting injured, kids from dramatic backgrounds. And it's so well done because it, you just, you're seeing behind 
it's not twee. If that makes sense. It's like not everything is perfect in it. it. It's showing people for what they are. It's showing this world of like competitive cheerleading, which just blows my mind how difficult and complicated. And on top of that, it blows my mind how many people are so into this. Their world is this. Um, and it's, I believe it's five or six episodes, but it's, it's really enthralling. Uh, recently on Twitter, Simone Biles watched it, oh. you know, world's greatest gymnast, greatest gymnast of all time, Simone Miles. And she said she watched it and she said, now she wants to go there and cheer. So that'd be a, that'd be a pretty amazing upgrade, right? Uh, so yeah. we'll take her recommendation yeah, 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 maybe. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Take it. Simone. <laughs> she wanted to go there. So like, you know, if you're at Navarro college and you can somehow score getting Simone Biles to come, that would be amazing. You know, that, I, I want to see that just for that, but yeah, <laughs> that's great. I'll check that out. Yep. So my recommendation actually is a cooking thing okay. this week. So I am way late to the game on this, but I had never done any freezer meals. Have you done any freezer meals before? Not, but you I, like, I think the idea is amazing though. Yeah. yeah. So, so you prepare kind of a bulk of meals. Mm-hmm. Some people do an insane amount, like 20 meals at a time, which yeah. I can't even fathom. But basically you prepare all these meals at one time, mm-hmm. put them individually in the freezer. And I did all crock pot meals. That's right, because you warm them back up in the yep. crock pot. Yeah, which makes them very easy because they just go straight into the freezer once the vegetables are cut, the meat's in there, and then you get them out the day before you want to go in the crock pot. And then by the end of the day, you have a meal. And for folks that eat out quite a bit but would love to eat at home more, mm-hmm. it's been really helpful and really fun. So all you have to do if you're a Pinterest user, just Google. Uh-oh. Uh Well, not Google, but if you're on Pinterest, just search for freezer meals. If you want to Google it, you can do that too. We said Pinterest and made me think of the whole trend of nailed it. Like, (laughs) (laughs) oh, this one looks really good. This is a beef stew I made a while back. And And it's terrible. (laughs) (laughs) No, but I would recommend like starting with maybe three meals at a time. Don't get overwhelmed. Don't like fill your kitchen with like just chopping vegetables for two days. (laughs) Uh, well, thanks for joining us on Deep Dive. All those recommendations, we'll try to put some recommendations, yeah. links to them down in the show notes, along with links to where you can watch or listen to the sermon. As always, like us on YouTube, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, all those things. Share us with your friends. Thanks for joining us so much. We'll see you next week. Mm-hmm.